Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan again. Episode number 377, recorded November 13th, 2022. And today we're finishing off the uh, Picard Stargazer miniseries, which I was kind of surprised it ended at three. Me too. And then we're starting off the new, what they're calling the ongoing series, so who knows how many issues this is going to last, of uh, Star Trek number one. So I guess it's uh, Star Trek... 2022 number one that's that's the way i'm identifying it right and with so many characters from different star trek franchises coming together it just reminds me of one of those uh video games uh what timelines well, or yeah 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 where they have the different uh, you get to pick your crews and stuff right yeah I, I could see that i mean i mean they got scotty in it it's like oh got something from taws and then Cisco, DS9, and his son, uh, Crusher, I mean, uh, right. Paris. And, and there is an Enterprise reference, but uh, I haven't quite figured out how it's going to work. Well, Cisco said multiple times, and we'll, this, is, this is part of my comments, but I just want to say, Cisco says multiple times, I want this ship. <laughs> when he was uh, on the Enterprise, he was like, oh, he wants the Enterprise. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't mean that Enterprise, Ken. I did not mean that Enterprise. Well, did he mean that? I mean, when he was on with Picard. Okay, well, let's no, talk I about it later. So. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to get, uh, get understanding. But, uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, so you just... Uh, Picard was good, the Stargazer. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to tie into the new show, but if it does, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, and in the end, maybe it all, the only real thing is that it tees up uh, Seven to join Starfleet, which she was kind of on that trajectory anyway at the end of uh, the last season. So Right, so maybe didn't even need this issue. Maybe not. I mean, didn't maybe, even need this miniseries. Did, exactly, did it really tee up anything? For all the rubes out there, they're not even going to know this comic book exists. They won't even know rubes. all the struggles she went through to stay in Starfleet. <sighs> right. Right. Anyway. Anyways. So yeah, uh, you wanna? Shall we finish off Stargazer <clears throat> first, and then before we get into the new stuff, let's do that. Clean. Have a clean uh, wrap up, tie up of the uh, previous series before we begin the new one. Okay. So this is issue number three of uh, Stargazer, Star Trek Picard Stargazer, published date November 2022. Writer Kristen Bayer and Mike Johnson. Artist Angel Hernandez. Colorist J D Mettler. Letterer Neil Yataki, editor Heather Antos, editorial assists by Vanessa Real. Or Real. I'm not quite sure which way she likes to pronounce it. Okay, we got, uh, let's see, we got three covers. Cover A is made up of three faces smushed together vertically. We got Picard on the left, we got Reska in the middle, and Seven on the right-hand side, uh, if you're looking at the cover. And the cover is by Angel Hernandez. 
Cover B presents Picard's head and upper torso in his Starfleet uniform um, within a hot white star fleet swoosh kind of thing. So it's white and it's kind of really bright. And then uh, below Picard is the original Stargazer, not the new one. And that cover is by Von Gorman. The retailer in... Now, this was an interesting one. I had to dig a little bit for this one. And plus, but it is in the comic book. Uh, The retailer incentive cover presents Picard outside on his estate, holding a glass of wine up that contains an image of him when he was captain of the original Stargazer. And... uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting, though. But it doesn't look like he has hair. Or he's got the donut around the side. But I thought he had hair when he was on the Stargazer, but whatever. Covers by Andy Price. Did, did he have hair? He had the hair in the, in, the, in the first issue when he was first dealing with uh, that Romulan, right? Yeah, in that flashback, he had hair. Okay, okay, well. Anyway, in the glass, he doesn't appear to. Above Genjor 6, a mighty space battle is waged between the Romulan Goliath and the Starfleet David. The Stargazer is finally able to make contact with their captain, who is on the planet with Seven. Captain Makara and Moshi being back to their ship over Seven's objections for the very logical reason that if they lose the Stargazer, they lose everything. After they've beamed away, Seven and Hero try to call for reinforcements by calling someone named Deet on the Fenris ranger ship Tendu. Deet responds, but reports the ship was attacked by a cloaked Romulan ship. Impulse engines and weapons are offline, but he is doing all he can to effect repairs. Seven orders Hero back to the ship to help with the repairs. They are going to need Tendu's firepower before this is over. Seven moves out alone to assess the situation back at the sanctuary. Meanwhile, at the underground sanctuary of the Genjorans, the Romulan Reman half-breed Reska tells Picard the planet now belongs to her and her people. Picard should have never returned. Picard counters, saying he should have never left. He should have never trusted the Romulans to keep their side of the bargain, to leave and never return in exchange for the location of another planet rich in the mineral they craved. He never imagined the careless destruction that would befall this world, the indigenous people, and even of the Remans. Reska responds with fury for Picard comparing Remans to the Genjoran monsters. The conversation is cut short when the Reman Pallax runs into the cave reporting to Reska, a Romulan ship entered the system. Picard conjectures they must have detected the Stargazer's entry into the system. Picard asks Reska to allow him to contact his ship to avoid further bloodshed. Reska has a different idea and tells Picard that she will contact Picard's ship on her terms. Meanwhile, Captain Makara is back on the Stargazer and contacts the Romulan commander named Xenius. She says they came in peace to see how the planet has progressed since the last Federation visit, only to find it ruined by Romulans breaking an agreement. The Romulan commander shows no remorse and orders Makara out of the system. Makara tells Zenus he is outmatched and flying a relic battleship that is manned by a skeleton crew. The Romulan navy is not what it used to be, Commander. 
Xenix is undeterred and says Romulus will never relent. Fire! The Stargazer takes evasive action as the Deer Dex opens fire again. On the Romulan Bridge, the commander is told of sensors locating signs of life, including a half-Romulan reading. Reska, with Picard at gunpoint, is moving over the surface to her base, where the comms equipment is located. Seven intercepts with her gun raised and aimed at Reska's head. In response, Reska threatens to kill Picard. Picard tries to change the subject and asks Reska to explain what she meant when she called the Genjorans monsters and that Picard had no idea about them. Reska explains that when the Romulans left, the abandoned Remans attempted to help the Genjorans in a mutually beneficial relationship, but the Genjorans consider the Remans vermin. They retreated underground to their water sources and left the Remans to die on the surface. Suddenly, Picard and Reska are beamed off the surface, leaving Seven alone to curse at the turn of events. The Romulans cease fire on the Stargazer, and the transport cycle completes, leaving Picard and Reska in a detention cell on the Dedira decks. Commander Xenix approaches the cell with two security guards welcoming Picard and saying fate must have called them together again over Genjur to finish their business started so many years ago. Xenius turns to Reska, saying she must be his bastard. Reska responds, saying that she and Mother thought Daddy would return to rescue them. But then Mother died, and all she wanted from Daddy was his death at her hands. She runs toward Xenix in a futile gesture of aggression. The energy, energy bars are then deactivated, and the two guards take Reska roughly to new quarters befitting a half-Romulan. Xenius takes Picard to the bridge with plans to overcome his antiquated ship's defenses versus the Stargazer. Xenius opens a channel to the Stargazer saying he will kill Picard if the Stargazer does not immediately leave the system. Captain Makara asks how she can be sure Picard is not killed the minute they leave the system. Suddenly, gunfire erupts, and all the Romulans on the bridge are dead, except for Xenix. It's Reska who apparently overcame her guards and took one of their disruptors. Apparently, she is not in the mood to be trifled with. With his hands up and slightly sweating, Xenius tells Reska she will be safe with him. They can start a new life together. Reska responds with a blast to Xenix's chest. That is for Mother. Reska announces to Picard, Captain Makara, and the universe that the Romulans are no longer a problem and that she, Reska, daughter of Xenix, is now taking the Diridex as hers. Still holding a weapon pointed at Picard, she says she has a few requests. Picard tells Reska she does not need the gun, and all she has to do is ask. To Picard's generosity, Reska responds with rage, saying they are all off-worlders and she cannot trust any of them. Seven butts in over comms and calms Reska with somewhat of a Kirkian speech. Picard completes talking Reska off the ledge with a speech of his own. We get a glimpse of the future 
And over time, we see that the Remans, the Genjorans, and the Federation all work together to heal Genjor's environment and making it a viable home for both species. Back to the present. Picard and Seven are on the Stargazer, having a discussion. Seven admits there are things Starfleet can do that the Fenris Rangers cannot. Picard takes the opportunity to convince Seven that Starfleet needs her, and with Starfleet's resources, she can have a larger positive impact on the sector. Seven says she wants to table this discussion for now and just enjoy the present. Picard agrees. Later, Seven is on the Tendu with her three-person crew when an old friend comes calling. Over an open channel, Admiral Janeway says she wants to have a word with Seven about opportunities. The end. She just wants to talk. Just want to have a little chat, you know? They haven't spoken for a while. Just a little chit-chat. Yeah, it's cool seeing Janeway, Admiral Janeway. Now, I've been seeing her plenty in the second half of the uh, Star Trek Prodigy TV series, season one. So I've been seeing her on that. But uh, yeah, that's great. And the fact that they're both double-teaming Seven. (laughs) So Picard isn't the only one trying to twist her arm. That makes sense. So um, is her and Rafi just out now? I mean, they're not together at all? Well, apparently not. Sad. Yep. I mean, not like I thought. I kind of thought their relationship came out of nowhere and didn't yeah. really go anywhere in the second season, but still sad. Well, I mean, they're both in season three, so right. And if she comes back to Starfleet, well, Raffi is a captain too, right? Is she? Well, isn't she the captain of the? Of that um, Excelsior. Excelsior Class 2 ship? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know she was also doing... I mean, she was doing training, right? At Starfleet Academy with Picard? Right. But it seemed like uh, in Season 2 she had her own ship. Or mm-hmm. was that a training ship? Yeah, I don't know. I know she was on it when, when the Borg attacked or whatever. Uh, right, right. Anywho, which, I'm which sure those two wacky why, why the Borg... Or whoever forced them to go back in time, pick and choose. Or no, it was Q who did it. So, yeah, why did Q pick and choose people off different ships to go back in time? Didn't make sense. Well, it was convenient for the... Uh, <laughs> it was convenient for the season one folks to get back together again. Sure, sure. But, you know. It was rather convenient. But that's fine. I, I, whatever. Indeed. Whatever. So, uh, so as far as this issue goes, um, my really only complaint was uh, it just seemed out of nowhere that Reska just shows up, kills him mid-speech, her her dad, and that's kind of that's it. You know, just like <laughs> she was the big bad last issue; she was going to enslave everybody. Yep. And then here, she killed her dad, so she's all good now. Well, yeah, and it seemed like it but, got wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah, it was wrapped up very quick, and like we spoke a little bit before recording this uh, episode. Um, Reska's the big bad, and all of a sudden you're treated to her recounting her childhood to Picard? <laughs> you know, as they're walking alone, no other guards, just her and Picard, um, going to the comms equipment. It's like, 
Oh my god! I mean, they're even showing her. They have a little drawing of her as a kid, and and he, she looks like a like a normal kid who's just stargazing. It's like, what's right. that? What? <laughs> anyway, well, everybody was a little kid at some point. Well, even true. Reska, Khan, Hitler. <laughs> you know, they, they've all been little innocent kids at some point. At some point, yes. <laughs> but no, yes, it, those two panels are kind of weird. Yeah, it's uh, sudden. It's it's like Daenerys's turn in Game of Thrones. It just just was way quick. I mean, even though there were there were there were hints throughout the entire series um, about that turn, but it did seem a bit fast in the the end of Game of Thrones. So, and her, but that was to the bad. She turned bad, broke bad, and uh, Reska breaking good uh, and then us finding out why they're attacking the Janjorans is a, a bit of a revelation yeah that was interesting but even so I mean they were still the aggressors I mean they, they came with the Romulans destroyed their planet so yeah. I kind of understand why they didn't trust them and, and secluded themselves underground it's <clears> not <throat> like they were killing them it was just they didn't offer them sanctuary and and as far as the uh, Jinjorans are concerned, I mean, the Romulans and the Remans, well, what's the difference? They're all invaders. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like the – when she said, well, you only know half the story, I was like, oh, now we're going to find out that these Jinjorans were killing off the Remans or something like that. Or or they sabotaged their own planet to get rid of the Romulans. You know, here we are. We're going to find out something juicy. And then it's like, oh, no, they just wouldn't share their resources with us. They didn't trust us. They hid us. underground. We, I was like, eh, you still were. No, we're still the conquerors. You don't really have a leg to stand on, Reska. Sorry. Sorry, kid. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I really don't understand how Reska's the leader of this group. You think that the uh, other Remans might have other... You know, older leaders. You know, she was just bored when when the when the planet went went the heck. Yeah, it's all good points. All good points. She was apparently driven by her hatred, uh, and I'm sure there were other leaders. Maybe the mother was the leader. That's possible. Mm-hmm. And then when she died, um, there was more of a a reason for. Reska to step into the role, but yeah, good point. Right. They also lost a lot of people, supposedly. Right, right. So maybe there, there really aren't many left. Right, maybe this is it. And she's just the most driven out of all of them. Mm, indeed. So uh, definitely <laughs> when Daddy was making his uh, like last play to try to save his life, um, I was just... I was just reminded of that opening of the uh, Tarantino movie. Um, what was it? A Kill Bill? Revenge yeah. the dish best served cold. And Reska was blowing away her father uh, for a pretty, uh, in a pretty satisfying way. And of course, yes, I know the original quote was, was from a Star Trek movie, but I just... <laughs> I thought that's why you were bringing it up. You were going to go full circle with it. <laughs> 
Reska got some good uh, vengeance, though. That was, that was good. I like that. It, I, I found it very satisfying because he right. obviously was a poop head. He definitely was. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were talking last issue about how much overpowered it looks like the uh, Stargazer is going to be. And yet all the dialogue in this book is like, oh, the, that giant Romulan ship has no match to the – is no match to the superior Stargazer. Technology. Yeah. Where every picture it showed, it looked like the Stargazer was on the losing side. Well, well, I don't okay. know. It always looked like the Stargazer was taking damage and the big giant ship wasn't. Well, there are two really great um, full-page space battles. And there's, mm-hmm. it's very flashy. So you see lots of disruptors and phasers and what looks like explosions and things like that. And it's like, um, it's very animated. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these two, it's kind of difficult to know who's really taking damage, though. True. Um, and, and the idea that, oh, okay, so I really, I, I, I brought this up last time, and I'll bring it up again. Um, the Romulus ship is so huge, I mean, compared to the Stargazer. And it was before, and it is now. And the, the idea that it, it, it is the original um, Diridex from back in TNG days is quite a revelation, because I still think they're mucking around with the si- ship sizes uh, in, this, in this series. Uh, I don't think it's accurate. Uh, I don't think there's that big a difference in size. I mean, yeah, the Stargazer could be a, a little smaller than Diridex, because the Diridex was always a big ship. I mean, it, was at l- it, right. it, it even seemed bigger than the Enterprise by a little. It, it, yeah, the Enterprise, Enterprise D. Enterprise D, right, exactly. Um, so it was a big ship, imposing ship. Um, but it's such a difference, and uh, with the stargazer here, or presented that way. And the thing is, in general, um, over the years, Federation ships tend to get bigger. Um, now, mind you, the Enterprise E, although it was longer than the Enterprise D, it was actually a smaller ship, just because of the nacelles were so long and the way the pylons were oriented. Enterprise D was a bigger ship, but. Um, the Enterprise F was significantly better than bigger than either of them. It's yet a, another big leap in size. And then, of course, when yeah, you compare but... the Enterprise D with the original Constitution class, big difference. The Constitution class is much smaller. Yeah, but compare the Enterprise D to the Defiant. And oh, well, to Voyager. I mean, so not That's an all the ship. ships go bigger. Well, okay, okay, I'll agree with that. It's just that different ships have different, uh, you know, functions. And yeah. this, it, okay, so when we saw the, the Picard fleet in the previous season, uh, mm-hmm. where you see um, the Stargazer alongside, um, uh, not the all, Enterprise E, all the other ships, but yeah. other Sovereign class ships, and even uh, what, Excels, uh, Excelsior 2 ships? 2, yeah. I mean, those are all big, meaty ships, and I do not remember the Stargazer looking particularly small next to them. I mean, yeah, they might have been smaller, a little smaller than the other ones, but it really didn't look that much different in size in Picard. Right. No, you're right. Mm. All right. I stand corrected. Sorry. Well, not... Well, whatever. Oh, no. You put me in my place, kid. (laughs) Uh, That was not my objective. But 
uh, yeah. So, should be interesting. I really, I, speaking of third season of Picard, I am really looking forward to seeing an Odyssey class. Vessel. The, yeah, the Enterprise F. Maybe. Do, do you know it's the F? No, 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 I'm just saying that's okay. the class. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. The Odyssey class. What, the Inquiry? Is that another one? Mm-hmm. The, was that Picard's ship? The Inquiry? Oh, no, the first one? In the comic one? book? In the comic book? Uh, I thought it was the Odyssey, wasn't it? Well, it's an Odyssey class, but, but it's not it the ship thing. the Odyssey. Was well, it not? Well, it's an Odyssey class ship, and, there's, and they've had, you know, Excelsior or was, it? was the name of the ship and the class. So I, uh, but I, th- thought it was, I thought it was the Inquiry or something. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping to see that. I want to see, see one in action, not just in comic books right. and, and uh, Star Trek Online. Right. No, it would be cool. And I hope it is the Enterprise F. That'd be cool. That is what I'm hoping for. I would like to know what happened to the Enterprise E. I wonder if they would try to cram that in to the, uh, to the season. You think they would? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, apparently Worf is not a captain anymore. Or if he is a captain, he is a pacifist, according to the uh, previews. Right. Well, you can have a pass trailers. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just got to be able to kick ass when you need to. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the comic book yeah. of the first one, and I don't see them ever calling it by its name. <laughs> and even in the establishing shots, it just shows the registration number and not the name. Oh, really? Well, that's yeah. Nice. Yeah. And well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go through here and read the whole thing. No. No. <laughs> But yeah, uh, oh, Verity, there it is. Oh, the Verity. No, that yeah. that's right. The Verity, right, which I thought was an odd name, but I think I had to look that up the first time I heard, <laughs> I read that name. Verity, I don't even know what the definition is. Anyway, and I don't so, remember. Do you remember the ve- definition of the word Verity? I do not. I do not, okay. It's not a word I use very often. So in regards to that uh, picture of Picard in the glass of... Uh, on the cover? Yeah. So I think that's supposed to be Picard from, what, season one or season two when he goes aboard the uh, Stargazer from the Ferengis. Oh, is that what that's supposed to be? I don't know. That's what I'm going with. Well, they keep, that was... they keep on throwing the original Stargazer around in, in a couple different things. And it's like, well, okay, that's nice of you to remind us of that. But so, so, so the second cover has the original Stargazer 2. And of course, that one shows Picard in a, in a later uh, uniform. Uh, it, lo- it looks like a TNG uniform, you know, the right. normal kind of one. Um, and then the next one, well, let me look, well, but, okay. So it looks like a season one, maybe that's a season one? Yeah, season one, season uh, two. Uniform? Yep, okay. with, the, with the piping. Right, okay. But, but even Which when, is my least favorite of the TNG uniforms and my wife's favorite. So Really? Uh, yeah, we always fight about it. No. It's, pa- it's Patrick Stewart's least favorite. It looks stupid. So It yeah, gave, him, it gave him back problems. <laughs> no, nah, I'm not a fan of it. Um, it's one of my least favorite also. As I'll mention in the next book, I, I like the, uh, 
I like the the gray and black uniforms. The gray and black, yeah. Those are my favorite. All right, what else you have on this I, issue? I like the next gen, you know, season three forward. Was it was it three forward or two forward? Whatever. Um, most of the TNG run, I love those uniforms, but I like the black and gray better. Right. I agree. Okay, so I, I don't really have anything else to say here. It's just that I, I did enjoy the uh, the series. It was pretty good. Uh, it was very well drawn and uh, good story and. Thumbs up. Yep, I agree. Same thing. Just a uh, very abrupt ending. Yeah. And then, uh, so, when uh, Reska was there in the uh, little montage about how they're terraforming the planet to mm-hmm. be habitable again. Right. Just reminded me of that last episode of Lower Decks where they were uh, just going to a planet and then building little terraforming things and then moving on to the next planet. Oh, right. Uh, have you seen that one yet? Uh, no. I, uh, well, then, I can only I imagine. Don't but, want to spoil those, it for you. But those terraforming things look interesting. I mean, they almost look like things they shot from orbit. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, with a big old spike at the end of it, and then or at the front of it, and then it just sticks in the ground, pumping out That's atmosphere or something. Starts Filtering out the atmosphere, yeah. yeah. That's what it looks like. And then little... Are those supposed to be people in front of it? Yep. Yeah, so these things are huge. All right, that's it for me. Cool. Let's move, move on, on to the next series. Yeah, literally, the next series. This one's called Star Trek. Not to be confused with Gold Key's Star Trek, mm-hmm. or Marvel's Star Trek, or DC's Star Trek, or DC. The second Star Trek. Should I keep going <laughs> on all the series that were just named Star Trek? Yeah, <laughs> it's a little confusing. But right. but but this one is called Star Trek 2022, right? That's what I call it. Is that, otherwise, is that how they're qualifying it? Like the movie, uh, qualifying it with the year it came oh, out. Oh yeah, that's right. The movie even did it. Yeah, and then when they did the ongoing to that movie, they they did it Star Trek, and then. And then when they stopped that one, they started another one, Star Trek Boldly Go. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wish they would have given it a subtitle. Right. But I didn't make it, so. They didn't ask me. But I will tell you who did make it. You want to know? Sure. Who did it? All right. So uh, the writers was Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Cool. The artist by Ramon Rosanes. Colors by Lee... Low Ridge, or Low Ridge, not quite. I'm I'm never good with names. Letterer by Clayton Cowles, design and production by Neil Utaki, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assist Vanessa Riel. And uh, this had a cover date of October 2022, even though it came out in November 2022. I don't really understand how cover dates work. Sometimes they're in the future. Sometimes they're in the past. Uh, there is nine covers for this bad boy, so buckle up. So cover A has art by Ramon Rosanas and Lee Lowridge, and it shows uh, what's going to be the main crew of the ship uh, that we're going to be introduced to in this issue, but it consists of Cisco, a Vulcan that we don't know yet, Data, a Andorian that we don't know yet, and Beverly Crusher. And then b- above them, as they're being beamed up, is uh, some ominous red eyes. 
Cover B has art by Declan Shalvey, and it shows a Sovereign class ship, possibly the Enterprise E, and a space graveyard. So there's just a bunch of bones floating around the ship. And then behind it all, we just see the profile of Cisco. The third cover, cover C by David Aja shows the Enterprise E, or just a Sovereign class ship, kind of floating around in a orange space with uh, blue stars and blue planets. And it has the caption, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Cover D is by Rachel Stott. And it has, again, the crew that uh, we don't quite know who everybody is. Cisco, Crusher, Data, Vulcan Dude, and Andorian Girl. And it looks like Crusher is holding in her hand the uh, Enterprise E or just a, a generic Sovereign class ship. Cover E, completely white. Love it. Then there is a online exclusive cover by Angel Hernandez and Fram Gamboa. And it's just a close-up of somebody's eye. And instead of there being a pupil and iris, there is the Bajoran wormhole. Then retail exclusive cover is just the same as cover A, but now black and white. Then there's a retail exclusive cover by Francisco Franjavila which shows Cisco, and then what will actually be the ship that they're going to be on is a, uh, a new ship design of the USS Theseus. So it's been kind of weird that in all the other covers we saw a Sovereign-class ship, but here we actually see the ship that will be in the book. And then there's another cover, which is another retail exclusive, which is exactly the same as the one before, but without the uh, logo and things like that, without the the title of the book. All right. That's it. So now we're going to get into the story, and uh, we're going to be introduced to a lot of new things, so this is maybe a tad long, but uh, we'll see. So the story starts off with Ben Sisko, who has become one with the prophets for the last three years. He's in an all-encompassing white void, when the wormhole aliens inform the previous corporeal captain that uh, he they have a mission for him and that he is to go where no man has gone before. So now we flash over to Deep Space Nine where Jake Sisko and Kira are having a chat on the promenade about Jake's recent run of rejected stories. It seems the galaxy has moved on and no longer wants to read about a war that's been over for three years. And this being the uh, year of 2378, it's been about a year since Voyager returned, and it'll be yet another year before the events of Nemesis. So it's kind of in this dead zone of uh, Star Trek stuff. Suddenly there's a flash on the promenade, and Ben Sisko returns to this universe. Father and son embrace, and then Kira looks out the window at the wormhole, and she thanks the prophets for returning him. Sisko is then run through all kinds of tests to prove that he is indeed who he says he is. Uh, he knows that he was sent here for a purpose, but due to the timey-wimey nature, uh, he cannot quite recall what it is, but he does have a single word in his head, and it's Hephaestus. 
so later, Jake and Cisco are alone in their quarters, and Cisco tells his son that he needs to work on his mission, and he cannot wait on the station for his wife and daughter to arrive. So Cisco meets with Captain Picard aboard the Enterprise E. Picard talks as if they have not spoken since the events of the Deep Space Nine pilot episode. So this assumes that Picard never met with Cisco all the other times that the Enterprise came to Deep Space Nine, which seems a little weird. So basically, Picard asks Cisco, why did Cisco ask him, Picard, of all the captains in Starfleet to arrange a request for Cisco to get a certain ship assigned to him? Cisco tells Picard that he is the only one in Starfleet who knows what it would be like to be looked at as a captain who has become something else and then has returned to being a captain. So Picard sees his point and says that he will get Cisco that ship, and then he actually assigns Commander Data as Cisco's new number one. Data and Cisco travel via shuttle to their newly assigned ship, the Theseus. En route, they have time to change out of their gray-black uniforms into some new uniforms that have the same old color scheme of the old TNG uniforms, but the design is quite a bit different, and it's kind of in the same vein as the newer Picard and Lower Decks uniforms, but it's not like either one of those. It's its own thing. So the Theseus is registered NX1987, and we learn that it's an old ship from back in Kirk's days. Uh, was actually damaged quite a bit during the V'ger attack, and then over the years it has either been mothballed or recently it has been refitted due to the time-hopping Montgomery Scott. So we see that obviously uh, being retired did not settle well with the old engineer. So once aboard, Cisco meets with the new crew, which includes the before-mentioned Scotty and also Lieutenant Paris, as well as a host of new characters. So we are introduced to a woman Andorian named Ensign Sato, a Vulcan male named Ensign Talar, and then finally we're greeted with the new medical officer, a woman named Beverly Crusher. So Cisco informs the crew that they're heading to the Hephaestus Nebula, which has only been scanned once many years ago by a Ferengi vessel. So once they get there, they find a giant school of crystalline entities, hundreds of them. Suddenly, Cisco is informed by the prophets that he has failed. And then the crystalline entities are all killed in one massive blast. Talar stated that he did scan another ship, but they couldn't see it. So Scotty uses the ship's anti-cloak vision. But before they can get it going, the ship had already departed. The crew is left looking at the death of all the crystalline entities, a.k.a. these crystalline gods. And then Sisko thinks to himself that all gods must now be scared of this new threat. To be continued. What the heck? So, when I saw this ending, I 
interpreted the wormhole aliens, the prophets, and why are they called prophets? I, I don't get. If they're gods, maybe we've said this before, but prophets are people that tell about the gods. They're not the gods, but whatever. Um, it, it sounded like the last thing they said to Cisco was, you're too late, uh, we're dead. And right. then you see the crystalline entities go all explodey the next minute into a right. thousand little shards. And so I mistakenly interpreted that as, oh, the wormhole aliens are the crystalline entities? And it's like, uh, you, you, you pointed out that that's probably not the case. Yeah, so. I didn't read it that way. Uh, I did read it that, you know, because the prophets are always tiny-wimey with, with their, you know, uh, you are the Cisco, you were the Cisco, you sure. never was the Cisco, you know, they're all their babble. Yeah, so, so time has no, no meaning for them. They exist in all time simultaneously, blah, 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 right. something. Yeah, but here they do say they are dying, they have died, they've always been dead, you know, whatever. The, yeah. So I, I totally see your point of view, which is not how I took it the first time, but... Mm-hmm. I haven't read the next issue, so maybe you're right. Maybe they're dead, too. But I, I kind of think that they're not, that they're yeah. just saying that he failed saving this one god race. Um, and then uh, because we we did read the uh, the little preview comic, which was in Star Trek 400, mm-hmm. where Gary Mitchell died. Right. He, he got blasted away. Right. Now, I so. never took the crystalline entities as godlike beings. I didn't either. I mean, they were planet destroyers, sure. Right. I don't know what you call it. A, but what what constitutes a godlike being? I don't know. But um, so with Data Lore, that's when we first saw them? Uh, right. And they yeah. were, I, I did not take them as uh, as gods. And then, then they popped up again in season five. Right, uh, and right. I, I looked that up. It wasn't that I remembered that. <laughs> yeah, so where that one woman kills him. Right, kills it. Right. So I don't know. Uh, I yeah. Know, I, I guess. I mean, with so many other races out there um, that you could have picked to pick off, <laughs> you uh, you 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 kind of upgraded the crystalline entities into god status. I thought. I felt that way, but right. Yeah, I think they're just pretty loose with the term God. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, if there was something going around destroying whole planets, uh, I could see people seeing that as a God. I mean, well, okay, I, mean, but if I, you I couldn't scan it or whatever. The Doomsday Machine I do not see as a God. Oh, you think that's the next one? Well, no, I don't <laughs> think it's the next one at all. I don't Are think you reading ahead somehow? <laughs> no, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I guess they just had to show the stakes. I mean, we saw Gary Mitchell sure. die, which which I hated seeing because I I was I was kind of excited when I saw that he was going to come back. Um, well, especially when they were showing him as actually benevolent, right? You know, like, I can't wait to embrace the Federation when they ascend to the, exactly. the next, when humanity yeah. ascends to this and level, then, and then he just dies. Now, mind you, that kind of explains why Gary didn't just flick the boulder off him and just kill Kirk. Uh, I mean, maybe it took him a little time to to 
to recover from the rock falling on him. I don't know. But if mm. he had a change of heart uh, and was a little bit less of a, a, a poopy god, then um, <laughs> that, that would make more sense why he never came back and, uh, and took out Kirk and the, or whoever. Right, right. So I do kind of like that. But. And speaking of poopy gods, yeah. we got a, a shout out to Apollo. In oh, this one. yeah. Cisco's yeah. like, yeah, I've met a god before. That was, that was Scotty. Wasn't well, that Scotty? Yeah, what did I say? I said Cisco. Sorry. Said no, Cisco. I meant Scotty, yeah. Yeah, and then Scotty's probably met too if he if he met the 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 one in Star Trek Five. Oh, <laughs> but he wasn't. Yeah, he was just playing to be a god. He wasn't a real god. <laughs> but what god need with the starship? So yeah, plenty of and, god. And, and, and what did what did Scotty call him? I mean, he basically called him a poop head. But what what is the word he used? Yeah, I'm, I meant to look that up, but I totally forgot. He, he, it's some weird word. He's like a a real ox star. Oh, there you go. And and maybe is is that a Scottish term? I don't or... know. Sounds bad. I'm like, oh man, I do not want to be called that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't look it, it up. I did not look that up. It is a type of boot. A type of boot. Okay. <laughs> that's all that I just did a search and that's all that's coming up. Okay. Huh. Oh well. If you're Scottish and you're listening to this and you know what to, what <laughs> how offended Apollo should be, uh, let us know. Okay. But anyway, so I wonder if that means they're going to meet up with uh, Apollo later. Oh, the, I don't uh, know. Another another one to get picked up. Yeah, don't know. So so they were insinuating it was a mystery. Maybe a ship was out there, a big ship that was in cloak. That blasted them? Yeah. Well, that's um, what they assumed. They picked up something. Something, right. Because if something has the power to be picking off gods that are incorporeal and, or, or often incorporeal or can be incorporeal, uh, then, uh, then that's pretty powerful. And that's like, uh, that's like the kind of power that of an entity that wouldn't need a ship, but right. Yeah. Unlike the Star Trek five God, he <laughs> did need it. Apparently, he did. Now, do you think this is like the breeding grounds for the crystalline entities, or do you take it that they were afraid, like the like the wormhole aliens are, and that this was their attempt to like hide, hide all together? That's, a, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I was trying to figure which which direction they were going with right. this. I do not know. I mean, that could have been instead of a planet, they just hang out in that part of the sector. Right. This is this is where baby uh, crystalline entities come from. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying? Maybe. Wink a wink. Wink a wink. Yeah, that's the way I first read it, and then when I was reading the, you know, Cisco saying that all gods are are now afraid, and I was like, oh, I wonder if this was like their attempt to hide. Uh-huh. In this day. so yeah, good question. It'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah. So, so can we talk about the costumes? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's like do that because I I definitely have some comments. Yeah. How would you describe them? Because it's very odd. Well, um, I think they're supposed to be something more towards the future costumes in Picard and stuff. Sure, but. I mean, they, okay, so one minute 
they're talking to Picard on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and then Data comes with his cat, and then the next minute they're in a super cool shuttle we've never seen before, and they're in the u- new uniforms with, by the way, the existing com badges. So they haven't changed the com badges, but they changed the uniforms into this thing that is very different from the gray and black uniforms. So uh, it's like, oh, well, how convenient. Uh, it's, I guess it's good that Starfleet keeps changing their uniforms so damn often. Well, and now with, with uh, lower decks, we find out that, you know, depending on what class of ship you have, you may have a completely different uniform. Oh, my God. At the same how time. How confusing. I mean, what's the point of the uniform? Everybody's supposed to wear it. <laughs> okay. I, to be honest, I kind of like it. Because Do you it like this kinda, one? It kinda, no, I'm just like the idea oh, of different changes all the ships. Time? Yeah. Well, only because the old school ties, mm-hmm. every ship had their own badge. Right. And then they got rid of that. And then now they're saying every ship class, this is going for lower decks. According to lower decks, different ship classes have different uniforms, right? So, yeah. Which we saw a little bit with Deep Space Nine uniforms look different than TNG uniforms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, like, oh, okay, so so maybe maybe they did already set that up way back when, but couldn't go all in because you have to build, you had to make all those costumes for every guest star. Sure, and you couldn't have every guest star with a brand new costume. But when you're just drawing it, it's a little cheaper. So sure. You can get away with that. Yeah, and I think uh, uniforms are a way of them to put a, a, a particular franchise to put a stamp on it. So, I mean, they definitely have these uniforms out of left field uh, because they want to have their own uniforms because they think they're going to do this right. this comic series for a while. And that's fine, whatever. Right. I still like the gray and black the most. Those are my favorite uniforms. Oh, yeah. And these are these look fine. They're just like down the down the priority list a bit. All right, so here I'm going to try to explain them. So okay. picture a black bodysuit. Yes. Just full black, mm-hmm. and then based on your uh, division, mm-hmm. you either have um, a colored shoulder pad. Well, it's not really a pad, but just your shoulder. Right, one right shoulder. shoulder. Your right shoulder. Only is, your right shoulder. Yeah, not your left shoulder. Just, <laughs> Is whatever color, and then you have like a, <laughs> it looks like a bib, like basically <laughs> the, front, the front of your shirt. Like, like you just came like, from Red Lobster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the front of your shirt, not the full, not the full front, just like this square, uh, is, uh, and it's not even a square. It's this weird shape, but it's it's also your division color. So gold for Data, it, red for uh, Cisco. The, the, um, the, the top of it reminds me a little bit of uh, TNG uniforms, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of a, uh, an upward swept thing on the top. Right. You know, like, like a little jagged, you know, graph kind of thing. Yeah. And then the pips on your, you have a big collar and then the pips mm. are very similar to the Picard pips, which they're, are quite big. They're bars, not... Yeah. Yeah, so not round things. They're they're rect- rectangles, vertical rectangles. And they seem to have a variant color because uh, the blue ones, or at least the uh, the Vulcan, his is different because he's like the blue part. Instead of the front part being blue, the front part is black, and his right shoulder is black, yeah. and the rest of his shirt is Isn't blue. Isn't that weird? So it's kind of, he's the inverse. 
Isn't that weird? That, and that's the yeah. that's the only person I've noticed that has that. So far, yeah. And so sciences, sciences gets to flip the colors. Odd. Yeah. And that's all, the tunic. So the pants are still black. Right. Um, and they do have a pinstripe around one leg, not both legs. On, exactly. Just <laughs> only, the, only just on the, left the left leg gets gets a, a pinstripe of whatever your uh, right. division is. And of course, yeah, so there are exceptions. So Crusher has a white top, and of course, Scotty still has the same radiation suit from Star Trek II. <laughs> Loves that radiation suit. <laughs> or maybe, maybe the 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 creators of this comic book just just love the radiation suit. Yeah, well, I can't blame them. It is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And then there is a uh, skirt variant for for the ladies. Huh. Looks like they're not oh, required yeah. there. Some of them do. Uh, well, the the Andorian lady has a has the kind of skirty thing, doesn't she? Or at least she looks. She like does. It. She's sitting down. Yeah. In the picture. Well, I just in saw. the cover, when the, on the cover, she definitely has. Oh, that. okay. Let me go to the cover. But then there's also like a Native American woman uh, on the bridge, and she she has the skirt variant okay. too. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of, I just like that they give them the option. Kind of like how number one in um, uh, Where No Man, or um, Strange, uh, Strange New Worlds has a skirt, but the other women don't. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Uh, up, up to the user. Right. You know, so anyways, <sighs> I could see liking it. I could see liking it. i just not a big fan of the pinstripe down one leg, but aside from that, I kind of like it. Right. Go ahead, sorry. The only other thing I just noticed just now is um, definitely the Vulcan, young Vulcan guy. Um, he has blue pips to go with his uniform. And then oh. and then I'm looking at a picture, and Tom Paris has blue pips too, though he has a red tunic. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at one where um, Data has yellow or gold Pips that go along with his gold um, accent parts. So I'm a little confused about these uh, the pip coloring. Right. Anyhow, maybe they're just being bathed in a, a blue light. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. So, since I'm mentioning Tom Paris, can I mention something about him? Please. He's still a lieutenant. <laughs> After all <laughs> the stuff they went through. In the Delta Quadrant with Voyager, he's still a lieutenant. Um, and I know this is, this is, what, three years after Deep Space Nine ended. So, yeah. um, so you know, it's, the, it's the year after Voyager came back. Okay, the year after Voyager came back. Yeah, because he doesn't look any different. I mean, age-wise, right. he looks no different. And he's still a lieutenant. And um, I don't know. I was just kind of surprised he's still a lieutenant. Yeah. Wouldn't I'm you sure think? Ins- I'm sure Ensign Kim's still an Ensign ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, okay, so you always heard things about people saying stuff, uh, Garrett Wang too, about he, he was an Ensign the whole time. Well, Paris was a lieutenant the whole time, so that's only one well, thing. Well, no, better. he got demoted. He got demoted at one point to Ensign and then came back. He got, he got his pip back. It was his big arc in oh, like, oh, oh, season oh. six. You don't remember? Oh, but that was fake. Wait a minute. 
when when he when he went rogue, that was all fake, so he could uh, get into you know go undercover with something, right? Well, that was I think that I think that one he quit Starfleet altogether. I'm talking about when he just got he screwed up and got demoted at one point, either in six or seven, towards the end. Okay, I, I don't remember that. I mean, yeah. the, only, the, the only time where he, that I remember that he screwed up and, um, and you know, went rogue, uh, you know, that was all fake. So, so there's a second time where it was real. Right. I don't remember that at all. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that, that's a better explanation for why he's still a lieutenant then. Okay. But anyways. How about the Theseus? Oh, oh, one more thing before we get on to the Theseus. Mm-hmm. So... Tom Paris has a smartphone? He did. He took a picture of it. <laughs> Bellana, Bellana is going to be so jealous. It's like, and he holds what looks like a smartphone. <laughs> well, and, and he, the Starfleet like that old. He did always like that old tech. Remember, he used to always carry around a, an old-timey phone or old-timey camera. So he maybe, did? Okay. Maybe he's just upgrading with the times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with a 21st century uh, smartphone. Okay, okay, that's fine. I, well, I thought. That well, was let's odd. talk about the other ca- the other new crew. So, okay, one, fine. I don't understand why they made Beverly Crusher's arrival such this big like mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, she comes in, you don't see her face. It's all dark, and she says, "I haven't said, I haven't said you're fit for duty yet." And yeah, then, yeah. then you turn the page and you're like, "It's Crusher," but she was on all the covers. So yeah, so you knew it's she was not a gonna... surprise at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She didn't catch up to the ship in a warp sled Vulcan ship in flight. No, no. Yeah, she why wouldn't she ride with Data? I mean, it seems like such a waste of resources well, that you had to make two trips from the Enterprise. Well, good point get... because yes. Crusher should have been on the Enterprise. Right. Right. Exactly. Anyways. Um, so Ensign Sato, is that a reference? Huh? Yeah. Hoshi Sato? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And she was in Okinawa, and she says, uh, Ensign Sato, or this is uh, Cisco saying, Ensign Sato, I served with one of your fathers on the Okinawa. So mm-hmm. I, I'm like, are they really driving home that this is somehow related to Sato? And somehow she or her descendants got with Andorians? Is she supposed what? to be half half Andorian, half human? I don't know. Uh, it, it seems it seems like it's very possibly nothing to do with Hoshi, but maybe yes. I don't know. But, but what what um, Cisco says is obviously nothing to do with Hoshi in Enterprise. No. Um, and and were they trying to say that she's got smaller antennae than her father or something? She spent, makes some comment about. She doesn't have her father's antennae or something. Yeah, I may not have but, his antennae, but he always says I inherited his ears. Which is I'm like, like okay. what does that even mean? I don't know. I don't know exactly. But, I mean, she looks like she's full-blooded Andorian, but uh, who knows. I mean, don't they have a really complicated reproductive thing? I mean, can right. they even reproduce with humans? Oh, no. Mm. Okay. Anyways, yeah, just, uh, I just... If if she's not somehow, I mean, Ansato doesn't sound like a uh, Andorian name. No. So, Indeed. anyways, seems weird. Yep. So, you want to talk about the Theseus itself? I want to talk about ships. If we're yeah. done with talking about people, yeah, I'm done. Okay. 
So, um, I do like the ships. Very cool. Um, that shuttle that Data and Cisco are going to, uh, to the dry dock with the Theseus is in uh, is a very interesting design. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in, uh, in Star Trek. Um, nope. is it, is it supposed to be like a runabout ex- uh, replacement or is it smaller than a runabout? I don't know, but it's got these huge nacelles next to it. So it's got a relatively small, well, maybe, maybe it's got a standard size, uh, crew compartment, the middle part. And then mm-hmm. it's got these comparatively huge nacelles on it. So I assume they're trying to tell us this is a really fast, small ship. Right. So I, I assume that, but it's like the design. I mean, the nacelles are very uh, Federation, Starfleet, but together, this looks very different from anything I've seen before in Star Trek. I mean, the thing almost looks like a pod racer to me. It's just, it's just right. huge engines. But what do you think? Well, the nacelles definitely give me a uh, Enterprise A vibe. And you're oh, right, okay. they're just like stapled onto a, a thin. What looks like a thin, smaller shuttle craft. Fuselage, right? Fuselage, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, it, it looks very weird, and I'm like, okay, well, it does kind of have that motion picture-esque look to it a little bit with the, those nacelles. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the page, and it's like giving the history of this Theseus ship, which mm-hmm. the immediately, ship. I, yeah. Which immediately I was like, oh, this is stupid. It's NX-1987. Exactly. That's like the Enterprise, the Excelsior was NX-2000. This is, how can this be before that? How can this be? And then I start reading the information. Oh, it was designed before. Okay. Well, it it was very handy that the next page, so they they, they got the beauty shot of the Theseus, which looks cool. Nice, nice drawing. And then uh, the next page immediately, they give you a full page schematic and service record of the Theseus. Right. And that was very helpful because I had questions Ditto. like you did. Yeah, so basically it was created during the motion – between the original series and the motion picture. It was heavily damaged during the motion picture. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just been refitted a few times. Right. And now it's uh, commission ready. Right. So it was one of the ships that was heavily damaged by V'ger. Okay. Interesting. Which I never saw V'ger da- damage anything. It just flat out like deactivated inside things. itself. Right. Oh, I guess it did deactivate that space station or whatever, right? Just right. flew by. And I had the impression that it deactivated ships too, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, even I'm just point. guessing that. Or, But it says heavily damaged. So it's like heavily damaged? Anyway. But it's uh, all right. Here's my biggest negative of this, the sh- the whole story. Okay, it's so the drawing is nice. It's very detailed, but I just don't like the ship. Yeah, it's especially when you look at the schematic from above. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's not the most attractive thing in the world. Plus, look at it. The color scheme screams Star Trek Online. Uh, it's a white ship. And then it's got the uh, black um, details, which is very Star Trek Online. Right. Um, so I, I was kind of thrown off on that. I, I thought it was an experimental ship from the current time period. And it right. is, 
but they did it using an older ship because the what the the, the skeleton was so yeah Scott even mentioned good. that it's modular and it's basically the, the the skeleton is from the original ship but then everything else has just yep. been replaced and I With guess since it's modular you can pop it out and put something else there sure and there's multiple Starfleet ships that have had modularity mm-hmm. uh, bits to them um so anyway so and, and I mean it really reminds me of the Excelsior and not necessarily the Excelsior itself but the way DC Comics drew the Excelsior in oh. those uh, <laughs> in those old comic books it's okay. just there's no not a lot of detail it's just like all flat and mm-hmm. uh gray so yeah. especially in the nacelles and the undercarriage mm-hmm. it's just pie plate pie plate <clears throat> smooth you know and that's the way yeah. DC drew the Excelsior all the time mm-hmm. Yeah, there, so, there's no Aztecing or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't see panels or anything, for the most part. I mean, a little bit on the top, but on the bottom, you're right. It's right. very bland. So part of me is like, oh, that's kind of a, a nice <clears throat> little nod to DC Comics, but uh, yeah, that was never my favorite either. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just wanted to comment, and, and they mention it too, Theseus, the ship of Theseus. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember Theseus, kind of, a, another hero kind of like Jason from mythology. And so I had to look it up. So I did a little looking up, and indeed, Theseus was a Greek myth hero guy. Right. Uh, he killed the Minotaur. So it's like, oh, oh, the Minotaur killer guy. Okay, fine. Um, and he has something to do with Athens. He was either the founder of Athens, or he was the son of the right. king of Athens, or something like that. And... Uh, and so and he's the son of Poseidon sometimes. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, it's kind of like, uh, Hephaestus who is also mentioned. Right. Um, in mythology, there's a lot of contradiction in stories. Sure. Yeah. And so I was reading a lot of contradiction on this guy, on Theseus, right. <laughs> um, but also Hephaestus. Um, right. but the main thing is, I mean, I thought the ship of Theseus was, Theseus was off on some grand adventure like um, Odysseus, uh, and then through all the trials and tribulations, all the parts were replaced of the ship or whatever, until finally when the ship returns or whatever, every plank has been replaced. And so is it really the original ship or not? Uh. Which is something you could ask about the, you know, the Enterprise refit. It is so different <laughs> from the TV show one, it's like, is it the same ship? But whatever. So, well, that, um, and that fits with this ship too. Is well, that, well, exactly right. And yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's a good name because uh, they have replaced replaced everything but the skeleton, I guess. Right. So, all right. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, what I thought was interesting is the Hephaestus thing is, um, and this is just a Star Trek thing, is that. Uh, the that's the Greek version of Hephaestus is, okay. is the Greek name, mm-hmm. but the the Vulcan. Roman name is Vulcan, right? <laughs> the god, that's well, cool. the god of fire, uh, craftsman, the god of uh, you know uh, metal work, metal work, metallurgy, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just thought it was funny that it's another reference to a Greek god, and it's also a reference to uh, our favorite. Uh, 
aliens. Vulcans. Right, exactly. And we, we got another guy here, uh, another Vulcan here. Yeah, so when Cisco said that, Hesphestus, I, I, right away I went ahead and, and looked it up to remind myself of, of who Hesphestus was, just because mm-hmm. it's like, well, what he's mentioning it, or the, the wormhole aliens mentioned it to him, or whatever. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And then, and then later we find out in the issue, oh, that's the nebula he's got to go to, so it's okay, fine, fine. Right. Yeah. So, I, okay, the last thing I want to say before I get off the so- t- subject of ships is... Um, they keep on showing the Enterprise E or, or some sovereign class ship on covers and whatever. And maybe they're just doing right. that because in this time period that, you know, that's the, that's the best ship. So maybe that's why they're doing it. But when Cisco was on the Enterprise with Picard, uh, at one point he says he needs a ship, but at another time period, he says, I need this ship. It's very clear what he says. Right, um, and it's like I don't. In the end, is he going to get? Is he going to get the Enterprise or a Sovereign class ship, or is it going to be the th- the Theseus the whole time? I no, I think it was always the Theseus. I think okay. we just didn't see what the uh, what the request was. But yeah, when well, he says he that, he is looking clearly. right at the models of the Enterprise, and yes. he says this ship. Yeah, and maybe at the but time no, just, he thought. I, Maybe at the time he thought this was such an important uh, mission that he's got to have the biggest, baddest ship. Um, mm. But then he backed off of it. You know, yeah, Theseus is pretty, Theseus is pretty good. <laughs> I didn't take it that way, but I can totally see what you're saying. I mean, he is looking right at the models when he well, says this ship. Yeah, and he says, I need this ship. Right. That'd so be. that's pretty clear. <laughs> I need this ship. I hated that Picard acted brisk with him like like he did in uh, well at first but then i know but they act like they haven't talked so well, he almost acts like this the, is like yeah. but the enterprise but they had talked they had spoken before yeah right in between I mean, you would think yeah i mean we didn't see it on screen but the enterprise spent two episodes on deep space nine so you would think that at some point picard and cisco would have talked yeah but uh nope He's going to act like this is the first time they've well, met since then. That's definitely what this comic book is putting forward. Right. So I didn't really like that part. And then I did love that, uh, you know, Data had to bring his cat. <laughs> and his first thing he says is, I hope you're not allergic to cats. Yeah. Uh, so Data. That is so Data. Speaking of the Sovereign oh. class ship. Yeah. So in the book itself, we assume they're on the Enterprise, right? Because mm-hmm. it looks like the Enterprise. They yeah. never show an establishing shot that it is the Enterprise. Okay. Um, but then you're right. In in all the covers, Sovereign class ship, you know, yeah. even in the, the big Boldly Go co- cover, which was kind of the main one I saw advertised everywhere, it's a Sovereign class ship. So I was like, oh, they're going to get on a Sovereign class ship. No. It, it, it was all misleading. Every every cover was misleading except for that one uh, exclusive or retail exclusive cover. Mm-hmm. Well, which is not unusual for, co- for covers. Yeah, covers I know. often show things, uh, for whatever reason, to, to catch the eye of people or whatever, that never happened in the book. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, do, do you really... I mean, is, is this it in the comic newsstand or the virtual comic newsstand of a comicsology or wherever? That, uh, ooh, yeah. Yeah, we got to go ahead and, uh, you know, put a Sovereign class ship on there to catch people's eye. They don't. They don't know the Theseus. 
<laughs> but speaking of cover, the the little preview of next week's or next month's cover with um, looks like a J.K. Woodward type painting with uh-huh. uh, Cisco and Worf. That'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Worf's the ambassador. Is that it? Right. Yeah. So he's definitely not got Starfleet outfit on. <laughs> he's very Klingon looking with the robes, though. Well, Klingon with the robes. I'm assuming it's Worf. He doesn't have the sash, though, so maybe it's not even Worf. Well, that really looks like Worf. It really does, yeah. but I don't know for sure. I haven't read the no. book. No. I don't want to be enough. you know, Fair racist. <laughs> and, look, and look at the way the uh, uniform is, is, is drawn. I mean, it looks very baggy on Cisco. <laughs> yeah. Especially and the really, pants and stuff. Yeah, it really shows off that pinstripe, though. <laughs> Which is now red. Which I think it's always supposed to be. It's just never well, really they, drawn all that clear. But in this issue, it's not. It's white. It, you know. I, I think it, it's. Like I said, I think it's supposed to be red. Is it supposed to be red? I, I guess yeah, that I would think make it's sense. Supposed to be whatever but, the color is. But I'm looking at. Well, yeah. No, I, I understand I, what you're saying. It's looking like it's, it's white. Uh, or yeah. Whatever. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Spoilers. <sighs> Okay, anyway, the bottom line is, I think this is a great kickoff because I, mm-hmm. I don't have anything else specific to say. I've already, I've already said said everything. So, yeah. I, but in general, I think this is a great uh, starting point, and uh, I enjoyed it. And if and if you're going to kill off a, a god god creature on issue one, might as well be one we don't really like, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> or care about. Or yeah. Way. Uh, and who didn't it didn't know it was a god and just got yeah, promoted. Exactly, news to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they're, they're, it's going to be uh, it's going to be like that Thor movie, and they got to go through a lot of gods just to ratchet up the uh, tension. Right. Exactly. So we got Gary Mitchell and Crystalline Entity. Right. So we're going to see the, the Malkotians and the right. Um, what, what, what are the ones uh, the uh, the ones that stopped the war? The Organians. Organians, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few. Trelane. Sure. <laughs> Trelane, and then of course the Q. Who knows? Right. Oh, are, oh, are they going to have Q in this eventually? I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. All right. So uh, thank you for everybody. And uh, next week we're going to do. Uh, um, uh, there's a Trill special. We'll do that. Uh-huh. And then we're also going to do another number one, which is Star Trek Resurgence, which is a prequel to the video game. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so the Trill thing's a one-shot. And, uh, and this thing... So this is a... Pr- are there multiple issues involved in the there's prequel? There's three. It'll be, it'll be a three-part. It's a trilogy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review... Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, 
Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.